Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Keys 107 on this Thursday evening. I'm your host, Sister Rafika, and we got a very special treat for you. We're going to do things a little different than we normally do. And um, before I go any further, I have to say happy birthday to my co-host and husband, Brother James. He is celebrating his Earth Day. I'm not going to tell you how old he is because I don't think he's going to like that too much, but that's okay. Happy birthday, Brother James. (laughs) Well, thank All you right. very so much. So we have, um, oh, is that the co-host? That's what it is. Are you on the line, Brother James? <laughs> I'm on the line. Well, it's so nice to have you by my side once again on this very special Keys broadcast um, today. And um, I'm going to allow you to introduce Ken Williams while I take care of um, some technical stuff. So, Brother James, take the mic. Well, Thank you, the Keys 107 listening audience and family. Uh, we are especially proud of uh, this afternoon or this evening in some places to introduce our, our newest host on the Keys 107 network, uh, Brother Ken Williams, and his show called Truth and Justice Round, at the Roundtable. Um, Ken is an extraordinary individual with a um, uh, array of background that it could be essential to helping us and to understand what's going on in our community from the perspective of the uh, from the law enforcement side. He is a retired uh, homicide detective with 20 years experience. He is a, a lover of truth. He is a freedom fighter, and he is a voice that we need to hearken to because. He understands a lot of the essential things that happen in our community from a standpoint that most of us uh, don't get the opportunity to to see or uh, to understand. So, I want everyone to welcome aboard 
Ken Williams to to the Keys 107 and his show Truth and Justice at the Round Table. Ken, are you on board? Hey, how's it going, James? Uh, thank you and uh, happy birthday, my man. Well, thank you, my brother. You know, this is a blessed day to have you come on on my birthday. It really is something because this is exactly the type of show that we were looking to bring um, to the Keys uh, listening audience and to be to, to focus on the key of current events, and I think you are the man for the job. So tell us a little bit about yourself, Ken. Uh, certainly. Uh, again, thank you. Uh, I want to thank all the listeners out there, and if anyone is interested in calling in, of course, they can call us. Um, a little bit about myself. Uh, I was a homicide detective um, for most of my career, for a majority of my career, and um, you know, my interests are to reach out to the public because at the end of the day, it's the people that matter most as far as trying to, you know, educate myself and educate others. And, uh, you know, I can certainly learn. Uh, we're all learning as we go along in life. Um, I can certainly learn from the callers and the people who are concerned citizens that will call into the program and offer some of their insights. Um, at the same time, it's very important for us to try to make inroads for people to uh, be able to fight for themselves when they do find themselves, um, you know, either in a situation where they find themselves in the middle of a police misconduct situation, uh, because unfortunately in law enforcement there are elements that uh, are bad, um, just like any other industry that's out there. So we want to bring all these things together at the round table. These are all pertinent discussions that are taking place out there in society. We want to bring people into the round table, have them have these discussions here, that way we can all work together to problem solve. So that's our ultimate goal. Jenny, there? Uh, yes, I'm here. Hi. I am so sorry. We've got so much going on here this evening. But no the, um, the bottom line, Ken, you know, um, today's show that you're uh, premiering on, uh, two very powerful topics in current events, one that has hit me, or both have touched my heart, but one um, with our brother um, um, Ken Chamberlain Sr., you know, um, a father, a, a, a military man, a, you know, a, a, a brother, you know, um, someone we can look Former corrections to. officer in the military. Yeah. Former correction, yes, yes. A man who's worked hard all his life and has always been on the right side of the law. You know, um, when we touch on a topic such as that, it hits our hearts dear. And I definitely want to hear from uh, our brother Ken, uh, Ken Chamberlain Jr. a little on. And then the other topic, which was so devastating, you know, uh, um, in Boston, where I, I guess you're, it's very close to home for you. Right. And um, it was so impactful. You know, people understand that violence can happen at any time, anywhere, and this thing is is getting out of hand. Um, they're looking at terrorists from across seas, but we got terrorists in, internal. But the bottom right. line is, we can never, never, ever think that we're actually 100% safe, and we have to start to analyze what make what makes people do these things, and and why. And uh, you know, it's just so much to it. It's emotional. It's um, Absolutely uh, life changing, especially for those who have lost loved ones or are 
or have lost limbs. And you, there's a number of people who are trying to recover from this thing. But the bottom line is two um, uh, powerful uh, current event activities that you can discuss tonight. And so I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts and uh, the information that you have gathered and your analysis of both situations. No, I appreciate that. Yes. So I know we're a little bit behind because we have some audio clips that we are preparing as we speak. Um, Sister Rafika will come back on, and then we'll go right into what we're trying to, um, your your whole program. And um, I didn't want to take up too much of your airtime, but is there anything that you want to talk um, we've got two minutes before she's ready to with the clips. Um, you want to talk about prior to going into any, um, into your dialogue with uh, Ken Chamberlain? Yes, I'm, I'm going to cover a little background before Kenneth comes on the line, if you don't mind, mm-hmm. and just discuss yes, yes. Uh, Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. Um, yes. On November 19, 2011, in White Plains, New York, Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. was at his house. Um, it was approximately 5 a.m. His medical life aid alert pendant he, uh, it, it accidentally went off. So this was not. This was a non-criminal, non-violent situation. He lived alone, and um, a 911 call from Life Aid was placed to the White Plains Police Department. The White Plains Police Department responded to his home for a medical emergency call. Uh, basically, uh, when the police arrived, uh, we're going to hear uh, in clips where the police arrived and they're knocking on doors. Mr. Chamberlain, um, for probably a better of an hour, um, is telling the police that he's fine from behind his closed door. He doesn't want to open his door. Uh, The police can see through windows where he's situated in his apartment, and uh, we basically see, or, or not see, but we hear through the Life Aid Alert pendant activities that were recorded uh, through Life Aid Alert because it had an open mic basically in the apartment. His Life Aid Alert machine allowed him to have communications within his apartment uh, with Life Aid. So Life Aid captured uh, for the better part of an hour these conversations that were taking place between Mr. Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. and the police that were outside his door. The police mm-hmm. at some point in time decided instead of de-escalating a situation decided to escalate the situation and break and enter into Mr. Chamberlain's uh, home. Uh, The police didn't have consent. They didn't have a warrant. And they didn't have exigency because in this particular case, they could see Mr. Chamberlain. He's inside his home. He's alone. And he's telling the police for for a better part of an hour that he's all set. Um, Just leave him alone. He's fine. Everything was an accident. In these clips, Mm -hmm. we're going to hear Mr. Chamberlain's side He's no longer present with us to explain what occurred, but thank God the clips were available to memorialize this negative, this very bad experience that he had. If it wasn't for the Life Aid Alert um, being present, the Chamberlain family probably would not have known exactly what occurred here. So Mm. Mr. Chamberlain's perspective from inside his apartment you can tell that he's agitated by the fact that, A, he has police officers knocking very loudly, repeatedly, on his door. Then it escalates to the point where police officers at some point in time call him disparaging names, like the word nigger, which is unbelievable. Um, you know, we're talking about 
a man that served his country. We're talking about a man that was a corrections officer. We're talking about a man in the twilight of his life was just at home, laying down in his bed, accidentally had a life aid alert pendant go off and triggered 911. And 911 is supposed to be a life-saving feature, not a life-taking feature. But mm-hmm. on this particular morning, when police arrived at the better part of that hour, when it when that hour expired, Mr. Chamberlain's, Chamberlain's life expired at the hands of um, deadly force by police officers. Mm. Wow, brother. What a story. What a story. What a so story. we're going to have Kenneth Chamberlain Jr., um, Mr. Chamberlain's senior son, who has taken a, a, a stand for truth, justice, and accountability against the White Plains Police Department in the city of White Plains to hold people who are wrongdoers accountable in the death of his father. Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. is going to join us shortly. And um, mm-hmm. he's going to explain this this fight and not just explain it in terms of um, he's going to explain the difficulties of the struggle for accountability. Yes, he's going, yes, to, he's yes. going to be able to walk us through the fact that, you know, he he's, he and his team of lawyers. Uh, I've met Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. He's a very uh, very good guy, um, honorable, has integrity, has has credibility. Um, his team of lawyers have uh, propositioned the Department of Justice to look at this, intervene, because at the state level, the state level prosecutor's office, be, despite there being unbelievable evidence where we have officers in uniform acting under the color of law calling a black citizen nigger and then coming into his apartment despite the citizen saying repeatedly leave me alone i'm all set i'm okay repeatedly for the better part of an hour they barged into his home and then they killed him Mm. so the department of justice uh, because they're at the federal level, despite the fact that the state may have said, okay, we've we've reviewed this. And the, the Chamberlains and the team of lawyers, because this was a secret grand jury, impaneled to listen to evidence that the police presented to the district attorney's office, and then the district attorney's office presents what evidence the police from White Plains gave them to the grand jury. The Chamberlains are saying, hey, we don't even know we don't have any clue because this was a secretly convened grand jury what the evidence was that was presented to the grand jury. Mm. So the grand jury came back with a, uh, uh, they didn't indict. So the next step for justice um, is to have the federal government, which is a, which is at a different realm of the law, you know, intervene, look at the, look at the evidence, um, have a grand jury, convene, weigh all the evidence. Um, some of that will be life, life aid alert information. Some of that will be police testimony information. Some of that will be witness testimony information because Mr. Chamberlain Sr. didn't live on Mars. He lived in a housing complex where there were multiple people that were there in the hallway that witnessed this. So we want to talk today about the fact that, you know, tragic Things happen. Accidents happen. But when you have a mistake of the mind, 
or a mistake of the heart, those are two different types of mistakes. A, make, a mistake of the mind is something that you can go back, accept the fact that you did something wrong, and maybe training or you know uh, some sort of oversight can redeem the person or the the uh, entity that's responsible for the act. A mistake of the heart is something like you calling a black man nigger and then deliberately barging into his home and shooting him down, and the black man is pleading on life alert uh, moments before the police enter that they are there to kill him. That's a mistake of the heart. So we're going to discuss these things. And um, I hope the listening audience at some point in time, you know, they'll give us a call and um, maybe share in some of their experiences, but at the same time we want to focus on the fact that the Chamberlain family needs support they need community support. They also need the support of the federal government to intervene and look at this as a crime. This is a hate crime. This is a murder. There are all types of statutes here that were violated. And there's no police officer. I'm a former police officer. There can be no police officer, as far as I'm concerned, that can weigh through the evidence that I looked at and not come up with the same conclusion that I came up with. And it's based on the facts that are presented. There's no explaining a man being killed, called a nigger before he was killed, and all the officers just so happen to be white. Mm. So, so well, that's where we're going to go with the Kenneth Chamberlain story. Yes. Well, I just want to let uh, you know, Ken Williams and James, that um, Ken Chamberlain Jr. is on the line. His mic is live, and he's ready to join the conversation whenever you're ready. Uh, Brother Chamberlain, I want to express, and, you know, we've talked in private uh, many a times, and, you know, I even came up to White Plains with the family to um, sit down with you. I want to express my condolences to you and the family, and um, this, is a, this is a tragedy. And I'm, I'm terribly sorry that you and your family have had to experience something like this because by no means is this a representative of pro professional policing by any means. Well, uh, I, I thank you for your support, Ken. I mean, you, you, we met online, but once we began to speak online, you have definitely been there ever since, and, and I appreciate the support that you're giving me as well as many others. I mean, even when I listen to the story myself right now, I, I can't help but tear up thinking about I, the I situation because, I, it, you know, you relive it again and again. And the fact that there's been no indictment, the fact that there's been no accountability in my father's murder, I always tell people, how can you have closure? How can you expect my family to mourn my father's death? when there's been no accountability. Well, and, Ken. And uh, Brother James, let me uh, get off of that real quick and just say to you as well, happy born day. I hope Thank you Thank you, brother. Again. Thank you. <laughs> you know, uh, listen, man, this here, um, you know, um, from the time we met, uh, came out there to White Plains to support you, meeting you first time. The synergy, yeah. the the love, the, the just the power, brother. You know of us connecting. We know that we're not in the struggle by ourselves, and we have to um, let people know that we're long distance runners. That we're not. We, there's no quit in us. 
you know, that we're going to fight to the bitter end for truth and justice. And uh, we live in a land that's full of um, untruth and full of injustice. So we're a rare breed, brother, and I just want to let you know that I'm by your side and I'm extremely happy to have you on our show to really talk to our people and let them know that the, the, the devastation that has taken place, but at the same time, letting them know that the power that God has placed in you to continue fighting on, for example, for all of us, because some of us are going to come down that road again, as you have, and some have already been down that road. Um, some have fought and some have just fell to the wayside, but you are a good example of a man who's who's determined to see justice. And so we just want to welcome you on the Keys 107. And um, listen, we just got to keep fighting, brother. So I just want to say that before we talk about anything else, victory is yours and it's at hand. Do not think that they have won. Do not think they have a victory. Victory is yours. So soon you'll see. So just have, we're going to keep that faith, brother, and we're going to be right by your side. Thank you. Thank you. Yes, sir. Maybe we'll take a break and we'll queue up on um, clip number one, um, and then we'll come back in to talk. All right. Assistance for Health Center, Polite Aid, Mr. Chamberlain, do you need help? This is an emergency. I have a white train police department laying on my door, and I did not call them, and I am not sick. Everything's all right, sir? No, it's not all right. I need help. The white crazy police department are banging on my Mr. Chamberlain, go to your door and answer it. service and people in blue uniform as people being 
credible, professional, and lastly, caring. There's no way that we as professionals in that uniform, anyone out there that wears that uniform and is tasked to protect and serve, there's no way that you can justify what's taking place in these clips. Kenneth Chamberlain, if you want to join us, please. Well, I will just say that it's it's been a while since I listened to the audio. And uh, it just... I mean, and I feel your pain. I feel your pain, my brother. I do feel your pain. Trust me. My my father, my father is not here. My father passed ten years ago naturally. The way that your father passed is completely unnatural. So again, I I apologize, my man. I apologize for what you are and your family have had to experience here. I mean. It has to be heard. I mean, it it hurts me when I listen to it, but I know that it needs to be heard. People have to hear it because they have to understand what took place that morning, and they have to stop allowing the police department to portray my father as a suspect rather than the victim that he was I'm 46 years old, and I have never, never heard my father fear for his life the way he did that day. And I'm so angry with myself because I live five minutes away, and I couldn't be there to stop that. And I think about it every single day. If I was there, would I have been able to make a difference or would they have killed me too? I I don't know. But I just know that my, my father is not here. And you have a show like this that will play when they call my father a nigger. But the media, mainstream media, will not play it. They will just play excerpts where they allege my father is the aggressor but I don't hear my father being the aggressor. I hear him saying, I'm okay. Leave me alone. I didn't call you. Leave me alone. So why the urgent need to get into his apartment when you were not there for any crime? So, again, I mean, when I hear it, it, of course, it, it stirs up a lot of feelings inside me, but I definitely know that these things have to be heard. They have to be played. People have to understand what my family and I go through on a day-to-day. And then when you hear attorneys for these police officers or the department speak about these officers with such high regard, and, and you have to wonder, are you serious? I mean, really, as with any profession, sometimes you have people in those positions that should not be there. We have maintained from the very beginning that my family and I are not anti-law enforcement. I have too many friends that are law enforcement officers from your local to your state to your federal level. So I would never take a stand and say that I am anti-law enforcement. 
I am anti-individual, as I've always said, who feel that they can do whatever they want to whomever they want without consequence. So if that is you, whether you are black, white, whatever your color is, then I am anti-you. It just so happens that it, it happens predominantly in neighborhoods that are low income, that are predominantly black, African-American, Latino. This is where these things happen because in more affluent neighborhoods, it wouldn't happen. You're absolutely right. I mean, what you're talking about here, and I'm going to come in as, you know, thinking about it from, um, you know, an insider looking out the window. You have here police responded to a non-criminal situation. It was a 911 medical emergency. Uh, police are supposed to put on their community caretaking caps, knock at the door, um, check and see if the individual inside is okay. They can look in through the windows and they can see that he is alone in his apartment. They can hear that he is alone in his apartment and they know he is okay. There's no way that the knocks at the door that are heard in these clips are respectful knocks. This is 5 o'clock in the morning. The loud banging on the door is not just to get the attraction of Mr. Chamberlain and his attention within, but it's also to make all the people in this housing complex fear the police. The people that congregated in the hallways and watched the police officers down in the in the corridor where his door was, banging on this door, started collecting because it's 5 o'clock in the morning and the police are banging on a citizen's door for almost an hour long. Can we play uh, clip number three, please? Chamberlain telling police <clears throat> several several times that he's okay, that he's fine. They've knocked at his door repeatedly for over an hour. He's told them from behind closed doors for that entire hour that he's okay. He's alerted life alert on several occasions that he needs someone to call 911 to get the police who are outside his door away from his door. He's now telling police who are looking at him because they've started to breach his door. They're looking at him, <clears throat> communicating directly with him. He's saying he's fine. He didn't call them. Everything's okay. 
the police still haven't de-escalated the situation. They're now breaking and entering his home. Please play clip number four. Good morning. Um, my name is Carol Matthews. I'm, um, I understand that the police are down at, um, with my brother, Kenny Chamberlain. Yes, ma'am. And I'm, you know, I'm, I, I'm trying to get through to him. You know, he, he is on medication. He is on medication, right, yeah. Yeah, uh, he has the paper that he's supposed to uh, carry around with him. Okay, no problem. And, um, you know, he, um, he's, he's like, uh, really, he seems like he's been snapped, you know what I mean? Sure. Um, I, I just don't know what to do with this time. Like, okay, the well, number no that problem. I had. Just, um, you know, we're, we're going to handle it on our end. Yeah, but I mean, I don't, you know, they say he has, a, someone said he has a knife or something. Who said that? Um, the people from the uh, station, um, you know, from the alert station, life alert. Yeah, I don't know. I'm not sure. Um, whatever it is, though, we're, we're going to handle it, and then um, he can yeah, certainly get in touch with you as soon as he can. Not because I don't want him to shoot him, you know. No, nah, it's not going to come to that. Well, they said that my daughter is there also. She said that they that they have their guns out there trying to talk to them, you know. But right, Matthews is calling from another state. She's not present at the address where her brother, Kenneth Chamberlain Sr., is present. She's getting relayed information from Life Alert. She has a relative that's in the stairwell watching and monitoring police. The thing about that's interesting about that particular clip is Mrs. Matthews is giving the police the benefit of doubt. She's giving them the benefit of the doubt by saying, hey, you know what, my, my brother is on medication, and sometimes when he's off his medications, there have been occasions where maybe she thinks that he's snapped. She's not present at 5 a.m. to 6 a.m. to know what the circumstances are that we have just listened to play out for over an hour. She's not present to witness the relative that's in the stairwell, that's monitoring what Mr. Chamberlain is doing, which is being behind his closed doors where he's safe, free and secured from any harm, and the police outside that door that are breaching the door, and he's telling Life Aid Alert that they're coming to harm him. Kenneth Chamberlain, join in on the roundtable, please. <clears throat> The the person that was in the hallway was in fact my cousin Tanya. The person on the phone was her mother. And several times Tanya attempted to speak to the police officers that were there. She said, Let me speak to my uncle. There's even a part in the clip in the audio where they asked does he have any relatives, and you hear her say in the background, yes, he does. They mm. still ignore her. She could have diffused the situation. 
There's clips in the audio where they're told to contact me. Their response is, is we don't need any mediators. So I always say, and I've always understood that your job is to diffuse the situation, not create one. But as one of the uh, people that live in the building said, it wasn't a crime until the police made it one. They made it a crime. You hear them saying that they didn't come there for nothing. I mean, that is not the behavior of a police officer. Or maybe it is in White Plains because they're allowed to get away with it when you have a Westchester County DA that will not indict police officers. Well, some of the things that you're saying, and I'm just going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to rephrase them as far as how I understand them. You're saying that based on the evidence of Life Aid Alert, recording the police, recording your father, recording uh, relatives that were in the hallway, there's a 911 tape from White Plains Police Department that recorded a relative from out of state calling the police department to say, hey, I don't want anything bad to happen to my brother. Has there, any, has there been anyone held accountable for this? There has been no one held accountable, no one. Janet DeFiore, who is Westchester County's top law enforcement officer, she is the district attorney, her response, even to the fact that my father was called a nigger, she said that the word nigger was used as a tactic to distract my father. That was her comment or her statement regarding the racial slur. Most people who are in law enforcement just like yourself, Ken, everyone has said they cannot believe that there was no indictment. Why wasn't there an indictment? And as I've said over and over many times that I've spoken, I said I challenge anyone to listen to this audio and not come back with the same fact-based conclusion that there was misconduct to murder through that whole entire period that they were in front of my father's door. I'm going to take it a step further, uh, Kenneth Chamberlain, and, and tell you that based on the fact that, A, you don't know what was presented to the grand jury, but clearly we can, we can guess and say that there was clearly not enough presented to the grand jury to indict. So one of two things happened here. In the police department, when a citizen like yourself files a formal complaint against what you're alleging are wrongdoers, people who acted um, outside the realm of law policy and uh, went against any practice that's out there that's normal to, to the policing world. Uh, this is a bright line case. It's a bright line case because what comes into question is that the police department, the internal affairs division has what's called, uh, is the internal affairs division at every police precinct has what's called an honesty and integrity unit. And the officers that are in the honesty and integrity unit, the Internal Affairs Division, are supposed to be uh, able to look at the facts when a complainant comes forward and says, uh, you know, this is uh, my complaint. They're, they're police officers. They're supposed to be able to investigate crimes just like a, a burglary or a rape or a shooting. It doesn't matter if it's a citizen in uniform or a citizen out of uniform. A crime is a crime. 
in this particular case, what we're talking about here based on the evidence of the video, I'm, I'm sorry, evidence of the audio from Life Alert, clearly we have hate crimes that occurred here. Clearly we have conspiracy after the hate crimes occurred and after the shooting occurred. We have obstruction of justice that is taking place because citizens that were, were, were seated in a grand jury came back with a no bill on this. So what we have to back up and ask the federal government who might be looking at this from the Department of Justice and the criminal civil uh, uh, rights um, angle of this, what the hell is going on over in White Plains when a citizen who was on a 911 medical emergency call is killed inside his apartment where he could not cause anyone any harm? No harm. He picked up a knife to defend himself from people breaking down his door. But yet the police in White Plains and the district attorney's office in White Plains has looked at this and said, okay, yeah, we, we, we respect the fact that he picked up a knife, but we don't want to accept the fact that he picked up a knife in self-defense. But yet on audio, we have him telling Life Aid Alert they're coming in to kill me. Kenneth Chamberlain, join the roundtable. <coughs> You know, Ken, this is one of the biggest questions that we have asked from the very beginning and we have yet to get an answer for. Why did you feel the need to go into his apartment after he said he was okay and he didn't call you? They said they needed to see him. As you said, you could see him from the window. Not only that, they were in possession of the master key to the building, and they opened my father's door. He put the slat lock on, so again, they could see him. They could see that he was fine. Had they just called it in, said he was okay, allowed my cousin to go over there and speak to my father, my father would still be alive today. Now, I'm not saying that they initially responded to this call with intent to kill him, but that is, in fact, what they did. Once they got frustrated with this situation, they had a totally different agenda, and that agenda at that point was to hurt him and, worst-case scenario, do exactly what he said, kill him. Now. One thing that they did not know is that life aid record because from the moment that they shot and killed my father, so began the, the, the cover-up. The, the news reports said police shoot and kill hatchet-wielding men. Another report said White Plains police shoot crazed men. And when you look at those headlines, you're thinking there's someone in the street trying to harm other people, and that the police officers had no choice but to use deadly physical force. And I've always said a police officer's job is a difficult one. You are dealing with so many different personalities, and this is why you are expected to be held to a higher standard. And just because you pass a psychological test and score high on a written exam does not mean that you are fit 
to be a police officer. It doesn't mean that. And these officers that were involved in the murder of my father have other charges pending against them in federal court now. We're going to break so, right there for a second, Kenneth Chamberlain. We have to take a commercial break, but we're going to come back at uh, uh, shortly after the break, and we're going to pick up from where we left off. Thank you again, okay? Stand by. Okay. Rafika Consultants and Services, LLC, is on the cutting edge of emerging technologies for designing online classes and providing face-to-face and virtual technology training or help with computer programs, web design, and graphic arts. We also provide biography writing services for websites. For more information, give us a call at... 631-399-0149. That's 631-399-0149. The Fluffs present the alphabet. Now found in paperback. Sporting a five-star rating on Amazon.com. Fashions and gifts that bring out the best in you. Moon 107 is an online retail store featuring women's and men's clothing and a gift shop. The woman's shop features stylish tunics, suits, and accessories and offers the well-dressed woman an outlet to find the perfect gift for self or for someone else. The men's shop offers classy French cut shirts for the well-dressed man. The gift shop offers organic skin, hair, With your host, Sister Rafika. And just remember, if your blog talk radio is not on the Keys 107 network, well, your blog talk radio just ain't on. Classify them as EDPs. 
based on their ex. They took a situation with a person inside their home, secured, safe inside their home, and they took something that was nonviolent and escalated it to a violent episode initiated by them. Kenneth Chamberlain, join the roundtable, please. You know, I never looked at it from that perspective, but the way that you explained it, I, I would have to I would have to agree with you on that. That that their behavior was definitely out of line. I mean, at at the minimum, I always say at the very minimum, at the very least, there was misconduct. But and this is why the question at hand has always been why hasn't there been an indictment on the state level? The state failed us. They sent a message very clearly to the people of Westchester County that it is okay for the police to respond to neighborhoods that are, I guess, considered low income, that the police can come in there and they can do whatever they want and that they will not be held accountable, even if they kill you. Hmm. It an issue that I have right before the break. You expressed the fact that the police had a, had a housing key that they opened up his door with a, a housing key that he did not sanction them to have. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about that, please? Well, the only thing that I know about that situation, and, of course, my attorneys, either one of them could elaborate on it more, is that with the White Plains Housing Authority, there is a master key for all of the apartment buildings in there and that the police department is in possession of that key. Now, as far as I understand, no police department should be in in possession of a key to just enter someone's house. But they have it, and in this particular case, they did use it. As I said, they opened the door. My father put the slap lock on. So, again, they saw that he was okay. And instead of them just turning around and saying, okay, that's the end of it and leaving, they, of course, escalated the situation, and they escalated it to the point of a man's life being taken. We're going we're gonna to have your attorney, Randolph McLaughlin, join us here at the roundtable. Um, attorney uh, McLaughlin, are you in? Yes, good evening. Good evening, sir. How are you today? Good. How are you? Thank you for joining. Um, I'm not sure if you listened to what we've discussed so far. I'm, I'm, I'm really shocked by the facts that, um, that have come out in this particular case. Could you uh, highlight I'm, on some of the things in, that, that you're, you're going through as an attorney for the Chamberlain family in representing him in this matter? Yes. I mean, here's what I think probably shocks us all. It's one thing if the police come upon a situation where an individual is in the street and he's acting in a threatening manner and they have to act in a very quick fashion and moments to make a decision in a split second. He's secured in his home. That's, this is the problem. He was, he was secured in his home, not bothering anyone, not threatening anyone, 
as Ken likes to say, and then like to say, that's what he says, it didn't become a crime scene until they made it one. Now, yeah. the master key that, that, that you all were talking about a moment ago, there's a lease, and we have a copy of the lease, and the lease between the Housing Authority and Mr. Chamberlain Sr. is a contract. And in that contract, all the terms of the lease, all the terms of the contract are laid out. Nowhere, nowhere does it say, we, the Housing Authority, have the authority, and we will give the key to the police that they can come in any time they want to, when they, when they deem fit. Can you imagine any other landlord giving the <clears throat> keys to your apartment to the police to come in whenever they felt it was warranted? I've never um, heard that, of anything like this in 20 years of law enforcement experience. I've never, ever heard of anything like this. Neither has anyone else. I mean, it'd be one thing if if the police came to the housing authority and said, we have an emergency, can we have a key to get into this apartment because it's an emergency. Someone from the housing authority comes and says, sure, I'll open the door for you, there's an emergency. Got it. That's not what happened here. There was but, no emergency. But even, even under that scenario, it would have to be that we've not announced police, haven't received a response from inside, we're concerned about Mr. Chamberlain not being able to come to the door, we need to get in. Yes, there was no, there was no emergency, no exigency, there was no necessity for their conduct. And here's something else: early on in this hour-long confrontation, um, Mr. Chamberlain's niece came along and mm. asked to speak to her father, to her uncle. They wouldn't let her speak to him. Now, had, had, had she, had they merely said to her, "Well, let me let him know you're here, uh, Mr. Chamberlain. Your niece is here. Would you like to speak to her?" She probably could have said to him, uh, you know, Uncle, please, they just want to see you, and it would have been over. The, Mr. Chamberlain's sister called the police to let them know that um, Ken Chamberlain was, was available to come to the house. The son, they mm. said to her, to the Life Aid folk, we don't need any intermediaries. We got this. And then, I'm not sure if this has come out yet, it, it's – to add insult to injury, most of this was on was recorded on, on tape or audio or videotape. They used the N-word in the course of their policing. We don't give an FN, open the door. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not sure where they learned, how to, where they learned that, except in this, I don't know where they learned that as police procedure, but it certainly is not any procedure that I'm familiar with. Well, I'm sure I'm familiar with it, but it's not a procedure we should be following. There's no place in policies and procedures in any police precinct across this land where the use of disparaging language words um, that incite, I mean, the word nigger has a history in this country of inciting anger, especially Mm -hmm. when it's directed at a black man. Right, but they said they were using it to distract him, really. So would you use that same word to distract someone from another ethnic group, another word like that? I I don't think so. I, I don't think, think so either. Ken put his fingers right on it, and that is that they they knew where they were. They didn't feel they had to respect him or treat him with any kind of dignity. I'm going to put you on hold for a second. Okay. <clears throat> While we're on hold, um, I want to go and set this up, and maybe Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. can join the roundtable and we can discuss it further. Before I do so, I want to give out the call number. Uh, the Keys 107 Truth and Justice Show, uh, we want people to, at the top of the hour, we'll stop taking phone calls. Uh, the extension is 213-943-3618. Uh, we want you to prepare your comments because uh, we promised you an action-packed show for the first show, and this is action. 
and this is packed. Everyone out there should be shocked and outraged by the experience that the Chamberlain family has gone through. Everybody out there should be shocked and outraged that a 60-plus-year-old man that served his country uh, was in the Marines, served his country by being a corrections officer, could have police come into his home without a warrant, without consent, and without exigency, barge into his home with a key, and then shoot him. That's, that's I, I hate to leave, but I have, I have to go to a, to, um, to meet um, with, a, with a meeting, so I have to sign off. No Thanks problem. for having me. We, we appreciate you joining us, sir. You're welcome. Bye-bye. Now, there's another, there's another aspect to this that um, I'm sorry that uh, Attorney McLaughlin has to leave us. Uh, it would be interesting to find out what the situation with this would be. Uh, because we're in a housing complex that is uh, sponsored by state money and federal money, uh, the housing complex comes under the jurisdiction of the federal government because it is sponsored financially by the federal government, which means that the laws that comply uh, or comport to a housing authority, uh, there's been recent cases out of California, um, some in New York, where federal agents have uh, gone into housing authorities under the guise that the housing authority is being supported by federal money, so crimes that occur on that soil become federal problems. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. can join the roundtable and discuss with us whether or not his attorneys have explored the fact that this is a federal uh, housing authority. Even if it's receiving state, state money, at some point in time, the federal dollar trickles down to this, this housing authority. Uh, Kenneth Chamberlain Jr., please join the roundtable. Well, I can't really speak to it, Ken, because um, – I'm not knowledgeable on that, but I will say that I do know that my attorneys have been looking into that. Um, they, One of them would definitely have to speak to that other than myself, but they are definitely looking at that situation as far as the money, federal, state, and um, what the guidelines are behind that. Well, I can tell you based on uh, recent activity, especially out in California, um, that uh, a housing authority that receives cash, it's being sponsored by the government. Um, what occurs on that soil, even though it's policed by local police, they have jurisdiction to go in when there's a crime that occurs on that soil. Because this is a death, a homicide, a wrongful death that you're, you're alleging has occurred on that soil, the federal government should be exploring the people who are responsible for that death as a federal crime. The fact that you have audio that says that uh, certain individuals who shamed that uniform called a black citizen nigger, the federal government should be looking at them with a hate crime statute. I'm going to, I'm going to go a little further with that. Um, under the federal hate crime, there's a state hate crime, of course, in the state of New York, but under the federal hate crime guidelines, uh, the statute of limitations is seven years. So at this point in time, because we have a, a time continuum from 2011 to present, we have people who, under criminality, hate crime criminality, actions that, that took the life of an innocent person secured in their home, they could possibly be trying to ride out the statute of limitations. That's something that you may want to talk to your lawyers about. Okay, okay. Gentlemen, there is a call on the line to ask a question um, named Joshua from Mount Vernon. Are you, uh, is, your mic is now live, Joshua. Please, just, please uh, 
Brother Ken Peace, I just, you know, calls. I see you still on the grind right here trying to get this done for your father. You know, I'm trying to figure out what I was trying to figure out because in Westchester County, it seems to me that Westchester County is is has a blatant racism against black men when it comes to employment, um, police activity, uh, um, social programs. And I, I, I've known, I've, I've, I've met Ken Chamberlain working at the at the West Cop, and I always saw him as a good, good brother, honest brother, and you know he was always fair with me. He was a, to me he was a good brother, and to hear that his father had gotten killed in that building like that, and the people who did the killing of his father were not prosecuted, you know it makes me think about everything else that's going on in the county. It's it's, it's a systemic racist racist problem in, in Westchester <clears throat> County. And we need to do something on a bigger level, you know, I mean, just a bigger level, like a, a mass protest or something to put all these issues out. And we can't let the county direct how we protest, where we protest, when we protest, you know, what type of permits. You know, right now we, we're, we're in, in, in the county where I live in Mount Vernon, where Mount, in Mount Vernon is predominantly black town. is the only predominantly black town in Westchester County. It represents 23% of the welfare cases out of, out of um, 43 municipalities. So it's like showing me, this county is like literally showing me the respect that it has for black people. Now, for them to run up in this man's house, in his, in his home, and, and, and kill him in his, in his home, I mean, what kind of respect did they have for him when they walked in the door? What was they thinking when they walked in the door? Were they thinking when they walked in the door, okay, we're going to go ahead and, and respond to some, some niggas acting a fool? Or did they go there to <coughs> serve and protect I, if, I could, uh, if I could join in, um, I just want to. I just want to also offer the fact that, you know, we have to go and put this into real life context. Um, I really appreciate um, your insights, sir. Uh, what you're saying, I'm going to try to say in a different way. We have several police officers that have been banging on a door for an hour. We have police officers that are out in the hallway, and at the same time, we have citizens that are in the hallway watching the actions of the police. Those citizens are witnesses. What we have to understand, and it doesn't matter what community we are coming from, the witnesses that witness egregious acts, the witnesses that witness this murder, they need to come forward and they need to be present for the Kenneth Chamberlain uh, family. They need to be present to make sure that police officers understand when they are wrong, when they're rogue, when they're committing these type of egregious acts. The citizens will take the power, will take the reins, and the citizens will testify against them. Can I ask you a question, sir? Are are you from Westchester? No, I'm, I'm in Massachusetts, sir. Okay, you need to come to Westchester. Westchester is more way. I've been all across the East Coast in five countries. Yep. And Westchester is probably the most racist place that I have ever been in all my life. And, it, and it's not that they walk around in Ku Klux Klan uniforms or nothing like that. It's systemic mm. racism, economic racism. In White Plains right now, the black people in White Plains have literally been pushed out of the city. That's the county seat. That's the most powerful town in Westchester County. They're pushing us out of these um, viable areas and they're pushing us into areas that's not viable. That project area is the last I saw for those racist white people who run Westchester County. So when I heard on the, the news that Mr. K- Mr. Chamberlain's father was, was, was killed in that project, and he's a, a ex 
Marine, a, um, a correction officer. You know, he's a law-abiding citizen. They didn't even go in there with the with the with the idea that was he was a law-abiding citizen. We're just going to the projects where the niggas be. That's the that's the attitude here. So my whole thing is this: is all everybody that's out there in these other communities that are you know taking on this mantle, come to Westchester County. It's it's this is something that has comes like come to a head. His murder is something like something that has come to a head. Their racism has come to a head with the murder of of, of Ken Chamberlain's father. And this is the problem here with this county. This county is absolutely, incredibly systematic. It's systematic racism. It's systematic racism in the job market. It's systematic racism in the service industry. You know, it's the social service industry. You know, housing. It's, it's unbelievable how it is here. Well, I mean, you what know, have to do? Put on his, does he have to put on his, on his chest or have a tattoo on his face that he was a former Marine that served the United States of America? Or, or that he was a correction officer that you know served the served the, the, the community. That's what he would have probably had to do because he was black. At the they knocked on the store. How you said a couple of hours? From, from what I read in the paper, I don't know if I'm wrong or right or not. He said through the door that he was fine, and they still walked in. They took the hinges off the door of his home. Isn't that a violation of his Fourth Amendment right to just bust his whole house like that after he said he was fine? No, we agree. Well, you know, I mean, just, just, you're, 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 you're absolutely right on on every point, and and I definitely thank you for your support, and I appreciate the fact that your emotion and your passion when you speak to this tells me that you understand that Kenneth Chamberlain Senior could have been your father. Exactly. And exactly. And this is what people have to understand when we speak about accountability because I always tell people that accountability, you can't just hold law enforcement and elected officials accountable. You have to hold the people in the communities accountable as well. And this is why people have to understand about the power of the vote, about coming together, about putting together plans of action and attacking situations like this. And it just takes me back to the day that they've killed my father, and I've let people know this, that the day that I asked them what happened in the hospital, the, po the police officers wouldn't give me any information, and instead they began to disrespect me. My statement to them at that time was, do you know the difference between me and other people that you've done this to? They said what? I said, you're dealing with an intelligent black man this time. I know how to fight you. Their reply to me was, shut the fuck up. That wow. was their response. So this is why we have to understand that you, we have to come out in numbers. See, one thing that we have lost now, and, and I blame it on our generation, is that we've lost that level of tradition and that, that our grandparents and great-grandparents had because they truly believed that it took a village to raise a child and they cared about their communities more. We can't get upset when a situation like this happens and begin to tear down our own communities because that's what they expect us to do. And this is why in their arrogance, they didn't expect this. They didn't expect me to continue to fight them. They didn't expect me to 
to join forces, I guess for lack of a better word, with other families who are victims of the same type of behavior or to to begin to get people just nationwide involved in a fight in White Plains, New York. They don't want White Plains to be viewed as a racist city. But the bottom line is, is that it is. It has elements of racism in it. And before you can correct the situation, you have to first admit that there's a problem. And this is where the issue lies, is that they don't want to admit that there is a problem out there. They don't want to admit that they have officers on their department who shouldn't be there. This is where the problem lies. And this is this is something for, for the people in Westchester County and White Plains to consider um, that may not be readily available to most people out there, but because here on uh, Truth and Justice we do some some background checks and stuff before we come on the air. I'm not sure yeah. the residents of White Plains are aware of in 2009 White Plains, Westchester County lost a $50 million lawsuit where the federal government stepped in and said that it was, um, in its housing, it was acting uh, very racist. Under the plan, oh, uh, they're supposed to acquire 70, 750 homes, um, so 630 of them have to be apartments, and that's because yeah. they're trying to move in to these homes specifically for Hispanic and blacks to move into the Westchester County uh, area because they lost this $50 million lawsuit. They, they, they folded yesterday. After Reno folded yesterday, he decided to uh, go, go along with the, the suit. He, he's trying to get with the settlement. He's trying to get the county legislator to vote on a plan to follow through with the settlement. I knew he was going to fold because it was going to break the county. But... This county is 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 humble. It's humble, brother Ken. I, I haven't seen you in a while, bro. But you know, I'm on Facebook. If you need me to be with you, you know, roll with you. I'm 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 with it. Just you know, just 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 touch base with me, bro. And Thank we can you, you know I I I'll roll with you. It's, it's, you know, it's it's you you take the lead, but you need you need more you need more of us from Mount Vernon to be behind you. Thank you, you know, Thank you. No, no, going, we appreciate going. the call, Josh. All right, brothers. Peace. All right. I think uh, we need to still go back to White Plains, Westchester County, where Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. lived. The people that were standing in the hallway that witnessed this incident, this tragic incident, unfold. These are the witnesses that the Chamberlains need to understand. They need to come forward, and they need to go and tell their story as far as what they witnessed, not because they're trying to just help the Chamberlains. They're trying to prevent another situation similar to this from happening again. This is what is necessary. This is what happens in all communities. When things happen, bad things happen, when crimes occur, the only way to prevent the crime from reoccurring, and Brother, Brother Kenneth Chamberlain Jr., he, he is saying, he's already said it, that the officers that were involved in this incident with his father have had prior incidents that they are being investigated for, but they remain on the police department. The reason for this is because if a criminal is permitted to reoffend, a criminal will reoffend. A hate crime is a criminal act. Any person in a uniform that is tasked to protect and serve a citizen, a tax-paying citizen, has taken an oath 
to protect and serve tax-paying citizens, citizens of the United States. They've taken an oath. You can't take an oath and then call someone a disparaging name acting under the color of law, barge into their home, and then kill them, and that not be a crime. That is a crime. The people who are in those hallways or in this hallway, the people that witnessed these acts, they are, they are witnesses to a crime. And in order to stop criminality, good citizens need to come forward and realize that it doesn't happen in a vacuum. We've got to protect each other, and we've got to be willing to step forward. And if, if something bad happens in front of us, we have to be able to step forward and say, hey, this is what happened, and I'm willing to go to court and testify about that. Kenneth Chamberlain, Jr., please join the roundtable. Well, again, Ken, this is one of the biggest issues that we're facing in White Plains, New York right now, is the lack of individuals stepping up, I guess, to the plate, for, for lack of a better word. This is why we've had to reach out to different cities, to different states, and we were fortunate enough this past Saturday to have Dr. Cornell West come to White Plains and speak to accountability. And although maybe a lot of people might have come out because they were starstruck, I'm glad that they did because Dr. West spoke to accountability, and it is my hope that people will or their flames will have become reignited, the flame that has has been put out over the years, and that they have to get rid of this victim mentality of believing that you can't change things, that you can't undo any this type of behavior. I tell people we have to stop saying, we have this bad habit of saying, well, it is what it is. But I say it is what we allow it to be. You're and again, right. I I refuse to allow it to be like that. I'm going to be on this front line. I'm going to fight. There will be justice for my father. And I've said it Saturday, and I'll say it again. People say, you know, Dr. King, Martin Luther King Jr. said, time comes when silence is betrayal. But I say that silence is a coward's option. It's It's not mine. I'm going to speak. Because if we do not, there's going to be another Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. There's going to be another Lamarley Graham. There's going to be another Trayvon Martin. You, you're going to have this happen. And it's sad that we are still fighting that same battle that our grandparents, great-grandparents, great-great-grandparents have fought, and we're still fighting that same battle. Well, you figure in 1868 when Lincoln signed the Emancipation uh, Proclamation, and it moved over to Congress to make sure that the law of the land at the federal level protected all citizens and freed, freed all citizens. Even Lincoln, when he signed the proclamation, said they may be free, but they're not equal. So we fight today, just like our grandparents did and uh, the great-grandparents before them, we fight for equality. We fight for respect. But in order to fight for equality and respect, we must open our mouths. And when we witness something that is bad, when we witness something that is criminal, we must open our mouths. If we stay in the dark, what happens in the dark can remain in the dark. 
It's only until people walk into the light. You have to walk into the light of day, and you have to look at the person in their eyes, and you have to let them know what they did was wrong, and they need to be punished for it, and you're the person to go and help them get punished. Ken Chamber, join the roundtable. We have a caller as well. I agree. I agree with you 100%. I mean, again, it, it comes back to accountability. I, I can't stress it enough. And any time that I speak, and, and you've heard me speak, can I speak, and I always speak to accountability. We cannot expect our law enforcement and our elected officials to be held accountable if we are not doing it on our level. We have to look to our clergy. We have to look to our activists, our more notable activists. They have to they have to come around. They have to be present. They have to send representatives out there. We have to go to these elected officials. And if these elected officials are not doing what we want them to do, then we have to vote them out. And we have to stop making excuses because anything other than standing up for injustice is an excuse. Very true. Can we take the call now, please? Yes. yes. Hello. How are you doing, gentlemen? My name is Eternal. Peace, brother. Um, you know, I'm I'm actually a little bit upset that I have to add my voice. You know, um, I, I was, um, you know, I grew up as a, a friend of, of Kenneth Jan- um, Chamberlain. And, um, you know, I've known the brother for years, you know, and although I never met his father, um, when I learned of this, I was in Atlanta, and, um, you know, it, it hurt me because I I knew immediately that that could have been any one of our parents. And then as I learned more about the story, to to know that it was actually a medical call, you know, that brought the police to this gentleman's door. And um, the fact that he was just, you know, treated horribly, you know, and and killed as a result of, you know, uh, negligence on the police department's part and, and hatred and just, you know, it, it just made me sit my children down and, and have to explain some ugly truths to them that, you know, I have children from ranging from six to, to my eldest is 15, and to have to explain to them that, you know, people hate so much that they'd be willing to do something like this and, and where that comes from. It just, you know, it tears me up. But I just feel that in America, you know, obviously this police mentality comes from the overseer mentality on the plantation. And they're comfortable. They're at ease. They feel comfortable being that way and, and being boisterous and, you know, and unruly and the fact that many of us, not me and I'm sure not Kenny's dad, but, you know, and um, many parents have raised their children to be afraid of the slave master, afraid to stand up and afraid to be men and afraid to be part of a revolution, to, you know, to work for change. And, you know, and this isn't, I mean, we know it's a black issue, but it's really a human issue. It's a human condition. 
you know, and, you know, just where someone feels that because of whatever that they're better than someone else and they, you know, they have a right to just act and behave any way that they choose. That's just not right, and it's something that just, you know, we've got to work on it. As a human family, we've got to work on that. And I applaud Mr. Chamberlain for standing up for his fortitude, for his concern for us all, you know, and I just, you know, it's it's like, it's it's sad, but we got to continue this fight. And um, it's sad that so many young people don't realize, and even like our elders, um, you know, some of my contemporaries, they don't understand the need to stand up, why this is important, why this struggle is so important to all of us. And, you know, and I just say, you know, you got my support, brother, and, um, you know, it's my prayers go out to you and your family. And um, whether we realize it or not, we have been and we are at war, and, you know, it's it's uh, it's it's something that's it just doesn't look like it's going away. So, you know, um, I, I'd say to every parent listening here, you know, you should, you know, have your kids become a part of the struggle and realize that, you know, they they have responsibilities and, you know, the reason why we do this, why we stand up, why we speak out, is not, you know, it's it's. It's not for this per se, but it's for the overall, we've got to fix this condition, you know, because it, it could be any one of us. And, uh, and that's all I have to say, you know. We appreciate your call, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you. I want to take a moment to recognize uh, a gentleman that I that I have uh, been in conference with for Probably the better part of uh, several months now, and you know he he is uh, Captain Dennis Muhammad. Um, he is the founder of the Peacekeepers. Uh, Peacekeepers uh, several years ago, it's still in its um, infancy stage uh, in terms of years. Peacekeepers is now international as well as domestic, and the Peacekeepers um, play a vital role in going out and trying to go into neighborhoods and trying to recapture a spirit in neighborhoods where people understand that we are responsible for our neighborhoods. We don't need to rely on anyone else to go and look at our neighborhoods. Government has a chance to come in and maybe, you know, when things are out of control uh, and crime is occurring, there's a government aspect that can come into a neighborhood that can prosecute but we are in control of our neighborhoods. And the peacekeepers go out and they try to go and quell all these different things that are going on in the neighborhoods. I'm going to take it a step further and say that we as adults, we have a responsibility. I'm going to go back to the Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. story here. We as adults have to look at it and say that we are in control of trying to eliminate that racism, that bigotry, that discrimination, but we have to speak up. But at the same time, while we're dealing with the racism, discrimination, and bigotry, we also can deal with the problems within our community, which are the crime, the rampant crime by children who are running around out of control. And it goes back to the same thing. Captain Dennis Muhammad, um, he did a uh, lecture, 
and he explained that uh, on one side we have the blue guys, the guys that are in blue uniform, that they have a, uh, a blue line, a secret code where they're protecting each other, no snitch policy. Then we have the neighborhoods where we have people who are saying, I'm not going to snitch, I, I'm, you know, this is a no snitch policy. Here goes the problem. There's nothing that's happening that's benefiting that neighborhood, and there's nothing that's happening to benefit getting rid of the people in blue uniform that are committing the crime. In both examples, we have people, a majority of them, that show up to work, do their jobs, and they're honorable people, but they're guilty of, a, of the crime of omission. They're guilty of not looking at it and saying, I know this guy in uniform over here is committing acts, but I'm going to keep my mouth shut. The same thing happens in the neighborhoods where the neighbor knows someone's child is out there and they, you know, doing dangerous things. The parent might know that their child is out there doing dangerous things, but everyone stays quiet. Nothing can get resolved when people are staying quiet. Kenneth Chamberlain, Jr., please join us back at the roundtable, sir. <clears throat> well, again, we're, we're, we're back on that, and, and yes, especially with our youth. I, that, I was so happy that we had so many youth at this town hall meeting that we just had this Saturday. We had several youth organizations that came out because they felt that it was very important that these young men know the story of Kenneth Chamberlain Sr., but also know that they are statistics that they are not expected to make it past the age of 25 years old. And this is why it's so important that you have organizations like one organization that came up to White Plains called Faith, Fathers Alive in the Hood. They Mm. came up and they were trying to see if we could start a chapter in White Plains because it's so very important that the black men in these communities step up and take care and watch over these young black men and show them the right way. Don't just teach them how to hustle. Encourage them to go to school. Encourage them to get an education. That their academics should be first and foremost before they do anything else. And another thing that seems to be a problem as well is that when you look at these movements and and people standing up and fighting for for justice in cases like this, you don't see a lot of men on the front line. You Mm. see more women on the front line than anything else. And that is something that has to change as well. We have to lead by example. And, And by leading by example, that means we have to be on these front lines. We cannot continue to look at situations like this and say, it's not my problem, or, well, it wasn't my father, or it wasn't my brother, or it wasn't my mother or my sister. You have to say it could be your brother or your sister or your father or your mother. And until we do that, you will continue to have these problems. All I can tell you, my brother, is that my heart ached the first time that I listened to that audio. And I was hundreds of miles away from you, had not met you before. My heart ached. And then I became angry. And then after I became angry, that's when I reached out to you because I wanted to know what the heck was happening down there in White Plains. And I can tell you that throughout this land, we have people whose hearts are aching 
that they are trying to figure out how to fight something that is a big beast. It's well-financed. It's got great attorneys. We have to fight these people. Yes, marching through the streets is very important. It's because those campaigns bring awareness to a situation. But the fight needs to go into the courtrooms where in those courtrooms laws are created. And when laws are created, they're supposed to be enforced. The Bill of Rights is there for a reason. People who were enslaved didn't have any law that protected them from being lynched, from being hanged, from being killed, from being raped. For several hundred years, people walked on the face of this earth with other people with such hatred in their hearts that a majority ruled and the majority said, hey, we're not going to give these people rights. We have to understand our history and understand that people who worked hard to try to get rights between getting recognized under the Constitution for protection. Board versus education, 1951, they're going to have schools educate our young the same as it was in other communities. The elimination of Jim Crow laws, 1964 Civil Rights Act that says, hey, you know what? You can't sit up here and treat me a certain way in my employment situation. You're going to have to, there, there are protections under Title I, protections under Title VII, protections under Title VI. These are things that we as a people aren't very well versed on. What we're talking about today in the past hour and a half are First Amendment rights, the freedom to express ourselves as citizens. So what I'm trying to say here is that here on Truth and Justice, we're going to cover these, these different topics. We're going to cover the Chamberlain story. We're going to follow the Kenneth Chamberlain story because these are real topics. Kenneth Chamberlain, I want you to go into the Department of Justice, if you may. We've talked in private. Um, you've expressed openly that the Department of Justice is looking to maybe intervene on this. Um, your, your attorney, Attorney McLaughlin, has uh, stated publicly that the Civil Rights Division, Criminal Division, is looking at this. Can you give us some updates, please? Um, that That is correct. They They are looking into this, and we've met a second time with them which is always a good thing. So to me, that is an indication that they will be coming back with some type of indictment. We're just not sure what it is. They have been very tight-lipped about everything, so which we kind of expect anyway. But I will simply say that, and all I can really say about meeting with the Department of Justice is, again, is that we have let them know that we have been failed on a state level and that we are looking for them to come in and right a wrong. People ask me what it is that I feel in this fight, and I've said to them, I feel like the little kid that has been bullied on the basketball court for his ball, and he can't get it back. And he's looking for his big brother to come and get that basketball back. No pun intended with the big brother thing. <laughs> but No, I, I hear you, my is, man. This is this is what we are looking for. 
and we hope that it, it happens, and we hope that it happens very soon because they have had this case now. May will make a year that they have had this case, and we are hoping that they will come back within that time by May with some type of indictment. The officer that called my father a nigger was suspended without pay, but it's my understanding that he is back working again due to some type of union rules. So really? he's back on the job and he's getting a check. The individual who shot and killed my father is on duty and he is out working and I believe he's back on the street. I'm not sure about that one, but I've heard people say that they've seen him on the street working. Mm. So I guess I'm I'm reminded of that uh, W.E.B. Du Bois quote when he was saying, how shall integrity face oppression? How shall honesty do in the face of deception? And you have to understand, this is why I tell people when they say they want the truth to come out, I say, no, I want the facts to come out. Because the truth can be a lie told over and over again, and people will begin to believe it. But you can't argue the facts. And this is why I'm very careful with everything that I say, and I try to be very measured with everything that comes out of my mouth because I don't want to speculate about anything. So I always speak to the facts. And the facts are very simple. You responded to a medical emergency, not a crime. That's a fact. The fact is my father told you he was okay and that he didn't call you. That's a fact. It's mm-hmm. a fact. For over an hour, you mocked and taunted him, used racial slurs. That's a fact. The fact is, is that you were told that there were family members that could have intervened in this situation and you denied or declined their assistance. That's a fact. The fact is, is that you took the door off its hinges fired a taser at him, a beanbag shotgun four times, and then shot and killed him. Fact. And and these are the things that I speak to. And these are the things that people have to understand. So a lot of the times I tell people, no, I can get into statistics and talk about the number of crimes or the percentage rate and, you know, the different percentages. Yeah, you but, you lose you lose the you lose the the essence of what occurred here though yeah, in doing that. Exactly, and this is why I tell them now instead of doing that, let me let me take you on a walk in my in my life right now. Walk in my shoes and let me tell you what it is that my family and I go through. How whether I wanted to be or not, I am the head of the Chamberlain family now. Whether I want to or not, it is my job to keep the family together now and keep everybody strong where I have to smile even when I feel like crying. And there are days that you feel defeated, but I get renewed strength when I walk out there in the street and I see people and they say, hey, Mr. Chamberlain, don't you give up or you see that little kid that smiles at you and looks at you and says, Mommy, he was on TV, and then they realize who I am, and their family member says, Don't you give up, we're supporting you, 
or we're backing you. That's where the strength comes in because it gets hard when 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 you're dealing with, oh, I guess I said my Goliath has arrived. And my Goliath is the city of White Plains. They have money. They can fight. They can draw things out. They can do all of that. And they do that with the hope that you will get exhausted and give up. But at the same time, I tell them, I'm the son of a Marine. I'm Kenneth Chamberlain Jr., and my father never taught me to give up or to quit. You know, I will continue to fight as a soldier should, and and that's what I'm going to do. Well, you know, I mean, um, from from a from a person that cares about the outcome of your situation. I'm following it, but at the same time, I'm shaking my head and saying, how the hell is this happening in America? How is it that in the year 2013, we have a gentleman that was a former Marine, a gentleman that was a corrections officer, a gentleman that had not committed any crime. He only rolled on his life aid alert pendant, and it, it triggered a 911 non-criminal medical emergency call, how the heck in 2013, if this was, you know, 1920s, we would say, oh, okay, yeah, we could see that. It's 2013, and here we have wrongdoers that are ignoring the fact that they committed wrongs. We have a city that's um, uh, uh, the employer that is denying any wrongdoing. This is this is unbelievable. It is you know, unbelievable. One thing, one thing we have to also remember is that the city of White Plains didn't even acknowledge my family or give its condolences to my family until five months after my father's death. Five months later. And wow. I and the only reason they did that is because I was speaking to the media and I said, we haven't heard anything from our elected officials out here. And then on top of that, to add insult to injury, then they turn around and they pay $75,000 for an analysis report where two pages or a page and a half speaks to my father. The rest is them praising the White Plains Police Department, saying that they are one of the best departments in Westchester County. Now, out of 43 police municipalities, you only have one that is nationally accredited, and it's not White Plains Police Department. It is Scarsdale Police Department, and we know that that situation wouldn't happen in Scarsdale because that is a more affluent neighborhood, for lack of a better word, you have rich people out there, and they are not going to tolerate that from their law enforcement officers. When they say, leave my home, you leave their home. So, and as far as the elected officials are concerned in Westchester County, when you talk about this type of behavior, it falls on deaf ears. They do not want to discuss this. And I, I say it to people all the time. So before you vote for them, these are the things that you have to look at and consider. Wow. 
so you you have a report that was authored um, by some committee that was hired by White Plains to look at this situation. It came back with a finding that said we didn't find any wrongdoing. But let's 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 preface that again. The city of White Plains hired someone to doctor a report, basically. Correct. As as my attorney Mayo Bartley said, the city got what they paid for, $75,000. They paid that. If I paid you $75,000 to do an analysis report, I guess they're saying we don't expect you to come back with anything negative about us. 75000 of taxpayer money to come back taxpayer. with a bogus report. Correct. This is the truth, people. The Kenneth Chamberlain family wants justice. They want accountability. You've heard it. We've heard it. I mean, this is unbelievable, unbelievable bright line evidence. The Department of Justice is looking at this. Kenneth Chamberlain Jr.'s lawyers are trying to pursue justice, get to the truth, get to the accountability. And we have the city of White Plains and the White Plains Police Department hiding the truth. This is unbelievable, but this is real. This is the reality that we're facing in today, and it's the reality that we're going to face tomorrow and next month and next year until people who witness things come forward, put aside that snitch stuff, because I'm going to tell you something, everybody snitches. I was a homicide detective. Everybody snitches. That's that's just that's just dumb talk when people talk about no snitch. The only people that are trying to benefit that from that are the people that are doing wrongs. We have people in uniform that are committing wrongs, and they don't want the other people in uniform to snitch on them. We got people in uniform trying to tell people in the community that you know you should tell the truth and come forward as witnesses, but they're witnessing the police not coming forward and telling the truth as witnesses. Kenneth Chamberlain, please tell us. How many police officers were there that morning, the morning that your father was harmed? How many police officers were present? I'm I'm not sure on the approximate number, but I do believe that it was over seven officers. Over so seven. So we have seven people who witnessed something that were from White Plains Police Department. We have six of them at least that may have overheard one of their colleagues call a black man a nigger. And we have several of them that are present when the doors, when the hinges to the door are taking off and they charge into the home without a warrant, without consent, and without exigency, and they cause harm to your father. And none of these people, out of the people that were there that were law enforcement, sworn law enforcement, no one has come forward to tell the truth. Is that what you're trying to tell me? That's what I'm trying to tell you. No one has come forward, and that doesn't mean, and that's not to mention that you had fired the fire department there as well, and you had some uh, ambulance people there as well. So now and we take no it a step further, it. and we say the the Internal Affairs Division, the Integrity and Honesty Unit of every police department, has investigated this, and the people that are in, responsible for the integrity of the entire police agency, they found no wrongdoing. They found no wrongdoing as far as we know. The only thing that they have done was they suspended Officer Stephen Hart for using the racial slur, which he denies using. He said it wasn't him. 
But but yet we, but yet we have an said, audio that says that that has someone clearly saying nigger. Yes, but he's saying that wasn't him. I said that my legal team didn't accuse you of it. This was the name that the DA gave us. They said you said it. So either they're trying to throw you under the bus or you actually did it. You And if you didn't do it, then speak to it. And yeah, tell here us what happened. Here goes the problem. No one has spoken to it, though. They haven't spoken to the disparaging name-calling. They haven't, disper- they haven't spoken to the use of force, the wrongful death. There has been no accountability from the district attorney's office on this matter. The whole entire system at this point in time, looking from the outside, looks broken. Yeah. It looks I mean, broken. you have... You'll hear people or you'll speak to people in the street who are friends with law enforcement or friends with the fire department, and there may have been individuals who were there that day, and they will say, well, I spoke to this person, and they were saying what happened to your father shouldn't have happened, but they won't come out and say it openly. They won't go on record as saying what happened to my father shouldn't have happened. So. I mean, if you, take it, if, you take it step, if you take it a step further, sir, and you look at the fact that NYPD right now has had one Hispanic officer and I believe uh, uh, one white officer that have looked at stop and frisk as a policy that's defective. They've secretly recorded officers, commanding officers, talking about going out, stopping and frisking black people, Hispanic people, and targeting these people for harassment. Out of the two people, out of 30,000 people on a police force, only two people have stepped forward to say that this act, is, that this uh, policy is effective. And these, these are the only two people that have testified at the United States District Court of New York, I believe in Manhattan, to tell the truth. Something is broken. Something is terribly, terribly broken when officers who are sworn to protect and serve are seeing these things occur and they're turning cheek. It's no different than in the neighborhood where people are seeing crimes occur and turning cheek. These officers are witnessing crimes. The type of crimes that are occurring are hate-related, bigotry, discrimination type of crimes. They're looking the other way. There's something wrong, and reform is needed to correct this. Please join the round table. This is, this is why I've called this a – I've said police misconduct, brutality, and criminality, I've said is a disease. And like any disease, I'd say it's progressive in nature, and if it's not treated, it will kill you. It will kill you. And in this particular case, it killed my father. And this is what I try to get people to understand. You have to stand up. You have to take a stance. In order for this type of problem to be corrected, we have to or they have to admit that there is a problem. You have to admit that there's a problem. If you do not admit that there's an issue, 
How can you correct it? It's just like if you were dealing with some type of substance abuse issue. One of, one, of, one of the first steps is to say that your life has become unmanageable. Well, the police department and, and the rules that they use, have, they're not good rules. They're not good concepts. And, and I always say that, listen, we need law. We need the law. You need people to enforce the law. We do need these things. I'm not saying that we don't need law. But, again, people have to understand that the law applies to everyone and is above everyone. So if you have a police officer who commits a crime, he should be treated the same exact way as any average civilian that commits such an act. No person is above the law. No person should. No person is above the law. And what you're saying is when we look at COPS, the acronym of COPS is Citizen on Patrol. The citizens come from the community that are hired to go and patrol the neighborhoods to enforce laws, make sure that uh, public safety is, uh, at the, is, is very important, and to, um, you know, to make sure that uh, people feel safe and secure. There's no person that is above the law. It doesn't matter if you're in uniform. It doesn't matter if you're a judge. It doesn't matter if you're a prosecutor or a defense attorney. No citizen is above the law. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. I mean, I, I agree with you. That, that, and that is the main point that, that I try to drive home any time that I speak. You know, you, I've had people tell me that they would love to come out and support me but they have a criminal history or they've been in trouble with the law and they don't want to come out and taint the movement in, in any way. But I tell them, I say, so you were in trouble with the law? And they said, yes. I said, uh, what happened? They said, oh, I went to jail. I did a few months or I did a year or so or maybe even a little more than that. And I said, so you were held accountable. And they said, yes. I said, well, then, if anyone questions you about your position in this fight or say that, well, you've been in trouble with the law, how dare you come out here, you simply tell them that you were held accountable, and that's what you want to see happen in this case. You want these officers held accountable. You want them walking a perp line the same way you or I would have to. Mm-hmm. I agree. I agree wholeheartedly. You know, uh, we we support your cause, sir. I mean, um, like I said, my my heart was broken, is broken. Um, I, I still shake my head every single day. I have to review your situation, and we talk periodically in private. Sometimes uh, we we conference each other on Facebook, or uh, we text each other. And I'm just amazed how long can people hide in the dark and not expect the dirt that they cause to come to light? How long can they hide in the dark? I don't get it. I don't get the fact that the police institution is supposed to be of high integrity, supposed to be honorable. And there are many men and women that I know that do the job tirelessly every day, and they do it correctly. I know I did. I represented the people to the best of my ability to make sure that everybody felt 
that they were they were treated with the utmost respect, and I, I just I shake my head when I look at the story that's going on out there in White Plains, and these people should be ashamed of themselves. Should be ashamed of themselves. Absolutely, should be ashamed of themselves. This is just a horrible thing that won't go away. For your family, it could never go away. But for the people who are responsible for these acts, they're trying to make them go away. I shake my head. I'm sorry to interrupt you. No, that's fine. And and this is why you have someone like Janet DeFiori, who's Westchester's top law enforcement officer, and she's running for office now. And she stated at the at the Democratic convention last night, she said every day that she serves, that she has tried to do so with focus, with determination, with skill, and without fear or favor. Mm-hmm. But on November 19th, when my father was shot and killed, by the members of the White Plains Police Department, and she promised a full and fair investigation. And we know that we don't know what was presented to the grand jury, but at the same time, by not coming back with an indictment in that case, after hearing the audio, there's no way she can say that with all honesty, that she presented a full and fair investigation. So this is why I'm telling people now that before you vote for her, you have to remember that this is the same woman that when asked about a racial slur that a police officer used moments before my father was shot to death, that she said the word nigger was used as a tactic to distract my father. Now, do you really want that type of person in the DA's office? I don't think so. And this is why people have to understand when we say speaking truth to power, you have to understand what that really means is that, come on, we're giving you the facts. What I'm saying to you is factual. So now that you have the facts, you know, and you now are held accountable for what you know. So if you turn around and you vote for her now, then you are just accepting this type of behavior and you're saying that it's okay for her to not indict police officers. It's okay for her to make statements like that. I mean, no one should be a DA saying that the word nigger was used as a tactic to distract someone. I mean, and and you've left these officers on the department and you know their history and they have a history of assaultive behavior. You have officers on that same unit that beat some Jordanians and called them ragheads. Same people. So, and, and they have other charges where improperly using the taser. And they are, they were called the Neighborhood Conditions Unit. And this unit was a unit that patrolled the city of White Plains, Mamaronic Avenue, as well as the neighborhoods that were predominantly African-American and Hispanic, 
I want to bring in for a second to the roundtable Damon K. Jones. Uh, He is uh, Westchester County Representative for the Blacks and Law Enforcement of America. Damon, please come to the roundtable. Hey, brothers. Good evening, everybody. How y'all doing? And sisters, how everybody doing tonight? Good, good, sir. Yeah, I want um, uh, thank you, man, for having having me on, and thank you for sending it, sending it out. And and I just um, first I want to co-sign on everything Kenneth just said. Um, I think that it's it's very important uh, for us as as people of color uh, to really look at how law enforcement and the community law enforcement has a relationship with the community. When when you're looking at the situation with uh, Kenneth Chamberlain Sr. and and you, you hear the audio tapes, which is on YouTube, um, these 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 guys were they were not professional officers. They were a gang in blue. You do not treat anybody uh, the way they treated Kenneth's father. And for uh, the police department of White Plains, and for the and for the city government of White Plains, and the county elected officials to treat this man the way they have is is, is a shame. And we were at the Democratic Party uh, nomination last night, and you would think that nothing that his father was still alive, and D.J. Henry was still alive, and and Detective Ridley was still alive, and all these other cases that have made the paper in this lady's eight years as being district attorney, that it never had happened. And the unfortunate thing is seeing black people cheering and pushing for her to be reelected when these issues of civil rights violations and human rights violations, they don't happen nowhere else but in the black community. So, you know, it's, it's sad to see that even though, you know, we, we've came a long way as a people, we we still do not demand the same respect as Jewish people, as Italian people, as all different ethnic groups, as, as Asian people. We do not demand the same respect for our children and our elderly from these institutions as they have. And when they violate us, we want to be friends instead of holding people accountable and putting them out of office. Unfortunately, gentlemen, uh, we're, we're coming close to the end of our first two-hour segment. Um, I want to thank everybody for, for coming on, sharing your experience, Kenneth Chamberlain Jr. I'm terribly sorry for the tragedy that happened with your father. Uh, Damon Kay, uh, we're, we're going to have to do a future segment with you, sir. Um, yes, sir. Congratulations on your show, brother. No, no, thank you. Uh, to the producer... It's his birthday today, uh, Brother James T. Muhammad. We want to wish uh, happy birthdays to you, sir, and uh, to, the, to the co-host, his wife, Rafika. Uh, we appreciate you and for, for basically giving us two hours of your lives tonight to go and make this happen. We appreciate you for that. Captain Dennis Muhammad, uh, Peacekeepers, we really appreciate your efforts, and you've been going strong for many, many years going into the neighborhood to try to bring peace and uh, educate people in the neighborhoods on what they need to do to protect themselves. Uh, This is the first show for Truth and Justice. It's not our last. We will bring back the roundtable again. um, I'll send out an email blast. I will send out a text blast, and we will see each other again. Thank you again, everyone, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you. Hold, Hold tight, please.
are listening to a Keys 107 Network special with your host, Sister Rafika. And just remember, if your blog talk radio is not on the Keys 107 Network, well, your blog talk radio just ain't on. <laughs> Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.